Hello, and welcome to the Organizing for Change podcast. The goal of this podcast is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their communities. The host of the Organizing for Change podcast is the Coalition Coordinator for Avon, Massachusetts, Amanda Decker. Thank you for listening. Welcome to episode 27 of the Organizing for Change podcast, where our goal is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their community. I just want to say thank you all so much for your support. You all have helped this show grow into reaching people in every state in the United States and now over 40 countries. Thank you all for sharing episodes and for your reviews. Each review helps others know about our podcast and it helps us get into the ears of more listeners. We're really grateful. Today's episode is brought to you by the Montana Institute. There are so many reasons for hope. This year, the theme for the annual Montana Summer Institute is Reasons for Hope, Building Positive, Healthy, Resilient Communities. This fantastic event will be held June 25th through 28th in Big Sky, Montana. Participants will hear Dr. Jeff Linkenbach and the dynamic Montana Summer Institute faculty share cutting-edge science, tools, and resources for building healthy, resilient communities. The 2019 Institute will focus on how science of the positive, positive community norms, and health outcomes from positive experience, hope, are creating new opportunities in prevention and driving community transformation on a wide range of health and safety issues. Join them in Big Sky to learn how positive, norms-based approaches can power up your public health and prevention practices, improve your leadership skills, and increase the effectiveness and sustainability of your projects. I've personally been to the Montana Institute and I highly recommend it. I learned so much about the science of the positive and I just really encourage you all to check it out. Well, today I join Mercer County Commissioner Greg Puckett. A native Southern West Virginian with a passion for prevention, Greg Puckett has worked tirelessly to bring special projects and initiatives to the area in the hopes of preventing the use of alcohol, tobacco, and other drugs among youth. As Executive Director of Community Connections, he advocates for strong public policy and leads others to combat the addiction epidemic, and community revitalization stabilization efforts. He currently serves on several state committees, including the Governor's Committee on Crime, Delinquency and Corrections, Juvenile Justice Subcommittee, and serves on the board of Community Anti-Drug Coalitions of America, CADCA, where he is a past recipient of CADCA's National Advocate of the Year Award. And now, my conversation with Greg Puckett. Welcome, Greg, to the Organizing for Change podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. And uh, for those of you who are listening that have never heard of Greg, uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe some of your background uh, around CADCA, um, because I know that's something that you're engaged with, um, and maybe just help everybody else to get to know you a little bit. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Amanda. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I um, this has been a pretty uh, crazy journey over the last 17 years. I started off as a 
uh, drug-free communities coordinator here in southern West Virginia. I'm actually located in a little community uh, called Princeton, which is in Mercer County. It's the southern part of uh, of West Virginia. Um, geographically, we're down at the bottom, and it's kind of neat because we're about 12 hours dead center of the eastern United States. So just about anywhere in 12 hours, we can be there within 60 percent of the United States population. But, you know, like a lot of other Appalachian communities, we're dealing with opioids and all the other negative aspects, too. So community coalitions are are extraordinarily important in in trying to deal with these situations. And when I started getting involved 17 years ago, I was a director of the Drug-Free Communities Program here uh, with Community Connections, which is the agency I direct now. Over the years, we we just kind of, you know, uh, blended in one grant uh, to the next, and, and we kept getting more community partners to the table. And, you know, there were a lot of highs and a lot of lows. And um, But, you know, we, we really started tackling the problems, and we did it one at a time. And, you know, here we are 17 years later. Um, we had the coalition rise. We had a coalition fall. Uh, we actually killed our former coalition, um, and then we redeveloped it um, kind of based around our current needs. So, um, it's, it's again, a great experience. I, I got involved with CADCA, um, and just, you know, so your, your listeners know, it's the Community Anti-Drug Coalitions of America. We got involved with them um, right off the bat in 2001 and um, met some really good people there. And in uh, 2004, um, I worked with Sue Thaw, who's their public policy consultant there, and she brought me to D.C. to speak to Senator Robert Byrd at the time. And at the time, nobody else, he, he didn't have anybody else, no, nobody else could go visit him if he weren't a constituent. So that was really their end. And then as I started working with Sue and the public policy people there at CADCA, um, I sort of developed this really great relationship. And in 2005, they put me on their coalition advisory uh, committee. And then gradually over the time in the many, many years, I worked my way from that one, and now I'm serving as the secretary on the board of directors for CADCA. So um, coalition work works, and, you know, it's amazing where it can take you on a personal journey as well as a community one. Wow, I have so many questions on it. That's amazing. (laughs) One of them, um, just curious, so you talk about how you killed a coalition and brought it back. Uh, Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, um, community coalitions have a life, they've got a lifespan. Um, You know, your issues change over time. Uh, You know, sometimes your communities, you know, back in 2001, you know, we were at the start of the whole OxyContin thing, you know, Purdue Pharma had come out with that and it was supposed to be the miracle drug that had no side effects, no addiction properties. We know that to be a lie. But, um, you know, we were dealing with alcohol, tobacco, marijuana. And then when what we called hillbilly heroin hit the streets, um, it just changed everything for us. So we continued on with our DFC program. We had a couple years of a lull there in the middle uh, that we leveraged off with some block grant funding uh, to keep us going. But our coalition really, um, we sort of just got stale. And a lot of the partners kind of weaned themselves off after we had some pretty significant accomplishments um, to make our community stronger, which was great. But, you know, after we have a certain amount of successes, there becomes a, you know, where is the bar? And who's going to take you to the next level? And when we lost the drug-free communities grant, we sort of faltered there for a little while. And But we also learned. We learned about how to leverage resources better. Um, 
we learned about sustainability more after we lost it, and I think that's something coalitions need to focus on, certainly from year one, not year 10. Um, and then over time, we said, hey, kill the coalition. It's not being successful. It's not doing what we needed to do, and let's just wait and see what the community wants. So we did, and within six months, the community's like, why don't we have an anti-drug coalition? So we reformulated it, and we focused back on local statistics, and come to find out, yeah, addiction is, you know, certainly opioids are a problem, but addiction is addiction. And when we did our statistical analysis, it got back to, you know, tobacco and alcohol again. And yeah, we're going to work on opioids because that's a crisis, but we're still dealing with the basics. So we're, we're back on that again. And, um, you know, 30% smoking rate amongst our youth population and, you know, our young adults. Um, you know, we certainly have an underage drinking issue here. Um, opioids, yeah, we've got our share of, of deaths, and we're doing secondary prevention by reaching out to other people to do uh, naloxone training and working with our mental health center and our health departments. And, yeah, so it, it's just it's funny because your coalition changes, um, but it changes based on your community needs. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something the coalitions need to understand up front is you're not always going to be doing the same thing, and you're going to have to be pliable with the timeline. Yeah, that's so true. And when you talk about that coalitions should be thinking about this in year one, what are you specifically thinking of that you wish that you had done differently thinking about in year one? Or what have you done things the same way? Or um, is there something completely different you would have done? Well, I mean, coming to it from two different angles. I mean, one, I'm I'm now looking at it where I was just a drug-free communities coordinator at the time. And now I'm executive director of the agency that's the fiscal. I've got two different hats. So I look at it and say, okay, these are issues, but how do I be fiscally sustainable over a long period of time? And I think what we decided was that we, as a, and this is beyond coalition, but this is really more of the fiscal side, that agency, whoever it happens to be, has to be able to understand the cultural heart of the community and not just the statistical heart of the community. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we got back into doing things like community revitalization. We had, had a downtown that had a, uh, a lot of blight to it. Um, buildings were falling down. Um, you know, prostitution was huge. It was rampant on that street. Drug use, you know, you can only imagine what we were dealing with. So we got together with our local arts community, and we said, hey, let's, let's put murals on the walls. Let's try to see if we can um, reach out and, you know, change some of the physical design. And, you know, when we're looking at coalitions, you you talk about, you know, the environmental change strategies. Mm -hmm. Number six on that is really physical design change. And if you can change the way a a community looks, then you will change the way it feels. And if you change the way it feels, you will change the way it acts. And that's, I think, very important because – Sustainability starts by going on what the community feels as much as it is statistics. So you tug on those heartstrings, and then you say, okay, well, we can leverage off doing certain projects and things with community monies, and we can have that as our leverage and our linchpin to move us forward. So we added that to, the, to sort of our, our initiatives, and by doing so, we lowered in this specific geographic area. Now, granted, we're a community coalition of a county, but in this particular area, we reduced our population of our uh, um, the prostitution down to almost none. Um, we increased the arrest rate down there. We put a substation of our police station downtown. Uh, we increased the the traffic count on that particular street 
4,000 cars per day because they wanted to come up and down and see what new things we had going on. And, you know, we even at the, you know, sort of partnered up with a few new people, got our local artists involved. And as a fiscal, um, we actually bought an old movie theater downtown that we are now still in the process of revitalizing. So it, it creates what your community sees. And if you provide that hope that things can be different, now all of a sudden you're starting to change your community to thinking differently. And I think that's what most coalitions don't realize is that they have much more power beyond just looking at the drug issues that happen to be in those communities. So good. Wow. When you think of some of the partners that have been like an unlikely partner, what would you think of just some of the people that you pulled in and maybe people that coalitions aren't necessarily thinking of to partner with? Um, it's ironic you say that, <laughs> because what happened with me was, um, you know, a lot of the time that when you look at your sectors that you have within your coalitions, you have to think about who can come to the table mm-hmm. to not only help you in, you know, moving the coalition before, but also telling the story. So I've always said your media have to be your number one partner at your coalition, because if you can't get off of page six to get to page one, or at least every now and then, to tell positive stories, um, then you're missing the boat. Because your media is going to do, if it bleeds, it reads, and that's fine. You gotta, you're going to have your negatives up there. But you've got to say that the coalition is going to change your community through positives. And you know these positive prevention strategies are what's really going to make that difference and giving the hope to the communities. The other thing is you've got, you know, so your media is number one. Your second one, you know, you've got to have your school system there. And if you don't have your schools to reach the kids, it's very difficult. Um, your business community, certainly. But your elected officials, your local elected officials, people forget that they may not be your fiscal source, but they may be your ones that you need there for that political clout. And so the irony of that is four years, well, it's five years ago now, I got tired of basically knocking on the doors and dealing with the politics. So I decided to be a politician, and I hate that term. But I ran, I ran for county commission here. And had never done anything like that. Yeah. Had never run for an office in my life. And I won my election on 2300 bucks, my money. And I think, you know, and now I've been able to work on a different platform. I've been able to take yeah. what I've learned locally. I've certainly, you know, work with CADCA. But I also serve on the National Association of Counties Opioid Task Force. Mm-hmm. And we, we helped create a document in cooperation with our counties and also the League of Cities that says elected officials have an obligation to lead. Not an opportunity, but an obligation. Mm -hmm. And that elected officials have to be at the table so that they can understand the complexities of what communities see. And so um, one of the cool things about that is, um, and that's what I actually talked about at CADCA this year, um, the website is opioidaction.org. And it'll link you back over to the Association of Counties website. And it, it gives you a detailed description. It'll, it'll tell you, this is what your elected officials should be doing in your community. If you're not, you know, hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. Say, hey, I need you at my coalition. I need you at my business meeting. Um, you know, I need you to be a part of this and to just be there for that support, you know. That's so good. I was actually talking to a coalition today around these same issues. Um, and one of the things that they had brought up is that everybody has a 
busy schedule who, you know, no matter who it is, whether it's a school or a local official. So how do you convince them that the thing that is important to you, um, you know, to come to the table and let go of some of the other things that they might have on their plate, you know, when everybody's so busy. So what are, how do you get them to the table? You got to tie it back into commonality. Everybody in the community has Mm -hmm. something that ties them together. Um, You know, unfortunately, coalitions sometimes come and get mobilized around a crisis in their community, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, be it overdose deaths or car crashes or something. There usually is a motivating factor for people to get together for that common goal. Um, Certainly, uh, you know, I can speak mainly from rural communities because, you know, being from West Virginia, we are the only state that is completely encompassed within Appalachia. And I think, personally, this is my opinion, I think... Appalachian culture is completely unique. Um, I even said it in a meeting today. I think, you know, in many ways we're a lot like tribal, if anything else. Mm -hmm. And so because we have our own little, uh, you know, sort of our eclectic groups that, you know, we we give back to our communities. We like to take care of our own. We like to make sure that everybody, you know, comes together. But even that we're starting to lose now Mm -hmm. because I think because of the opioid issues and and the addiction issues, Communities aren't mobilizing as much anymore. And so when I look at things from a community standpoint, I'm like, what brings a community together? Mm-hmm. Certainly crisis, but also opportunities. You know, if you build cultural opportunities and you use the arts to kind of get people's heartstrings tugged around and, and you all mobilize back together, that's a huge factor. Same thing about recreational opportunities, tourism, things that people don't normally think about in ways to lower substance use disorders, mm-hmm. but it's really creating that hope and opportunity, and that hope and opportunity factor helps drive down the numbers. And then from that standpoint, certainly working with your elected officials, your economic development directors, things like that, you're now starting to think about things like, okay, if you provide stronger economics, it's proven that you reduce substance use disorders if your economics go higher. So communities that have good policies, that have good ordinances, that drives substance use down. And I think those are the commonalities that everybody can get around. Everybody wants a good job. Everybody wants to feel good about what they see in their communities. They want to bring tourists in and say, hey, I've got, I'm proud of what I have. But if you can't have that, then I think that's what drives your communities away. And that's what my community has seen for years. That's why we're trying to, to do this through environmental strategies. So good. When you think of some of the challenges that you've had over the years, um, what comes to mind with being one of the, the bigger challenges your group has faced? Um, apathy. Um, yeah. People think that it's just never going to change. Um, I even... I gave a Facebook thing yesterday. It was sort of every now and then I'll get on a rant or I'll say something and I'll just throw it out there. But um, I, I think yesterday said something like, if I hear one more person tell me that, well, it can't be done that way because it's always been done that way, or um, it's just our community won't accept that because, that infuriates me. Because you just have to have people that are willing to step outside the box and fight for what you know is right. And, you know, I want people to go, like, I want young people in my community to leave here. And I don't want them to leave forever, but I want, I'd like for them to go leave for a year or a couple, three years. Learn from what's out there and what the rest of the world has. 
and and realize that yeah you can be a very small fish in whatever pond that you go and you visit and you're part of but if you go and you learn and you're able to bring that back then you have a big fish opportunity coming back to small community and i think that's what people forget is that they leave and they get so accustomed to that yeah coming home it's it's going to be a struggle and you know you're going to you're going to suffer um it's it's tough but the amount of hope that it could bring back to people that are here looking and don't see that mm-hmm. it would be huge and i think that's probably the biggest obstacle i have is that people have apathy that it'll never change and then the other thing would be um <laughs> myopathy um mm-hmm. simply not being able to see beyond the reach of their arm um you know they they're blinded to opportunities because they don't have the forward thinking ability to make things happen. And I think those two things in tandem really really are the, the biggest challenges for rural communities. Yeah. I was actually speaking to a community this morning about this exact thing. And yeah. I was telling them, you know, it's so important to start your coalition meeting off with that positive, hey, there is change. There are things happening. Because, again, like you said, everyone's so quick to talk about all the negative things and we forget that there's so much good that's happening and there's so much hope and people kind of like those stories are what motivate people to continue to keep going and uh my friend says it so well my friend from the montana institute he says if you want disease in your community go ahead promote disease but if you want health then you've got to start promoting health that's right um, i think it's it's really a good reminder even just for myself personally, I kind of did a little bit of a intake today just thinking about how many times do I share the great stories or the good things that are happening that are working to reduce and prevent uh, use substance use. And, you know, so often we're quick to repeat that story of the negative thing that happened. And um, it's just a good reminder for all of us that apathy starts with the way we talk. It does. We can be our best sales agents or we can be our worst deterrents. And there's nothing worse than somebody coming in your community and saying, hey, what's, what's there cool to do here? And seeing somebody at a gas station goes, this place sucks, there's nothing to do here. Right. You, that, that's, that's the worst thing that can happen. And you just perpetuated the problem by saying mm-hmm. one sentence. Because from that point, whoever came into community and had a positive impact until that moment is now gone. And so you may lose a you may lose a business. You didn't know if that person was you know a millionaire who wanted to invest in your community. You didn't know. So every opportunity is either an opportunity made or an opportunity missed. So true. And when you think of what you're what you're saying, oh, there's nothing to do. I mean, is that really true? Because I was asking no. we had some young people saying the same thing, right? oh, there's nothing to do here. I was like, what do you mean there's nothing to do? Well, not every young person in this community is drinking. They're doing something. Like, right. what is the something? And uh, it's just we never hear about that. And um, I was saying to somebody today, like, maybe the local church is doing a great event, but only seven kids know about it, you know? Or maybe there's a great, I don't know, <laughs> sports thing going on but not a lot of people are aware of that so how can we do a better job at there's there's got to be something that they are doing that's good and what is that and how to communicate that 
and that's the toughest thing too. And we see that, um, you know, I have the ability through the commission work to serve on the uh, local uh, convention and visitors bureau board. And, you know, that's one of the toughest challenges is that there's stuff going on in my community all the time. I mean, we've got a fair festival every single month. We, and there's times, don't get me wrong, there's times where we'll do a big event and you'll have 10,000 people come out. But, you know, when it comes to young people, I'm like, there's basketball games. There's ways for you to get involved at a local rec league. There's ways to, you know, for arts and culture. Um, there's so many things going on in my community that other communities would die for. But telling that story to, to a lot of our locals is very tough because they get mired in the negativity where they believe it so much and they don't see that the hope and the opportunity is there. And that's, that's the toughest. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you do, though, when somebody comes across? Because I've, I've had this said to me before that, oh, you're so hopeful, Amanda. You're just ignoring the fact that we have underage drinking going on in our community. How do you, how do you respond to that? No, you can just say, you know, we we understand that it's a problem. We understand mm-hmm. that through research, research, research shows that, you know, a very small segment of the population yeah. is doing that behavior. And here's where I think we're in a, in a very troubled time. Um, and this comes from uh, everywhere, not just here. Facts don't matter. It doesn't matter what you say. Facts don't matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do. We know they're factual. But people just discount them because they, they personally choose not to believe facts. Right. And I think what that does is that also perpetuates the false impression that reality is real <laughs> or not real. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately... What I've seen is perception is reality. And so perception, if it's negative, then it doesn't matter what reality really is. It's it's funny you say this, too. I was thinking around this today, too, just when it comes to marijuana in communities. So up here in Massachusetts, we legalize marijuana. And Mm -hmm. when I hear people talking to me about the reasons why, a lot of times it's it's not the facts they were thinking about. They probably didn't even read some of that. Um, but just a lot of individuals I hear say, well, I didn't want to say no to people dying of cancer and their pain. And, you know, explaining to them, like, it's it's about the feeling. It's about, it's not about facts. And I think, um, unfortunately, some of the predatory industries in the addiction field, whether it's prescription drugs, alcohol, tobacco, marijuana, they really sell that product on a field basis. You know, you never hear anybody say, hey, alcohol is a depressant and it's going to do this. It's, you know, they show you like a bunch of people that are, you know, typically young, having a great time and, mm-hmm. you know, they're not showing you any facts. They're creating a feel. And um, I think it's really interesting that when it comes to prevention work, so often prevention folks just want to go out there with the facts and they forget that you got to really address the feel first. Well, and I think that's where coalitions have missed the boat too. I think you're 100% right. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, we hear the statistics that, you know, one-time events don't matter. I mean, if you're in a prevention coalition, you've heard that at some given point. Yeah. And so you're always trying to work around, you know, whatever environmental strategies are available. We know about, you know, all the seven change, behavioral change strategies. That's fine. 
One-time events do matter, and they do work, but it's a way you do them. Because I think if you use them as a leverage point to have the sort of the action, because people think in action terms, um, if they perceive that something's going on, now I'm not saying like a mock car crash or any of that stuff. Now I know that's not valid. But if you do some of these one-time big events that can bring the coalition together, you know, a lot of times you'll lose a coalition because they're not active enough. And policy work takes a very long time. And you can get mired in the politics and it can be very very brutal and people get worn out very easily so i think if you have the activities going on to keep you motivated let's say it's a teen expo or it's you know something that's a an event to go in and maybe it is just a guest speaker in a school well that guest speaker may have been the one person that lets you into that school to begin with that kept Mm -hmm. you out before maybe it's the relationship that is built with that principle that says, okay, I trust you now because we were able to work together on that event that maybe I now let you come in and and do a survey work with my young people. So I think those aspects, it really kind of changes around that, you know, a lot of one-time events, yeah, they're probably hokey and they don't really have that much value in terms of the event itself, but it's the relationship that's established that can make a world of difference and can bond people together. So true. I love to call those quick wins. You know, what yeah. are some quick wins that you can do to generate some momentum? Because, uh, yeah, I find that often people just kind of, oh, this coalition doesn't do anything. So that's that's really great advice. Yeah. Wow. I cannot believe uh, 25 minutes has gone by already. <laughs> I could talk for another hour. This has been so helpful uh, and given me some ideas to think about, too. And I, I hope it's really encouraged our listeners. Sounds good. Well, and 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 people can contact me anytime. Um, you can find me on Facebook um, at Greg Puckett WV is where I normally reside with Twitter and Instagram and all that. And um, you know, I just I just think everybody out there has a chance to do something amazing for their communities, and um, you just have to take that step. And you have to know that there's a lot of risk that's involved in it. But when the reward happens and you get a policy passed or you know that a decision you've made helps save a life, and truly that does happen if you do it right. The way that you feel about your life is different. And the last thing I'll leave you with is, I tell people, and and you're going to laugh, you know, we all deal with a strategic prevention framework, the SPF. Mm -hmm. My mantra is you have to spiff your life. (laughs) that's true you have to get up in the morning you have to assess what you're going to do you have to determine if you have the capacity you got to plan you got to implement you got to evaluate every single day and if everybody would do that individually then as a coalition work would be so much easier Mm, that's so good wow yeah we can link all the information you just gave in the show notes as well so if our listeners are driving don't worry we got you covered cool Ah, thank you so much, Greg. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, yeah no, I I learned a lot, and uh, keep up the great work. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Amanda. For more information from today's podcast, check out our show notes. There you can find our contact information, social media, and website. Please get in touch with us if you have any comments or questions. And if you like today's podcast, please share it with your friends. Thanks for listening.